get ready for a galaxy class custody battle as Worf insists on the bonding. It's STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast coming at you right about now. I don't know about you, but I could do with a beverage. Oh my God, this is he... thirsty talk, thirsty work, Dave, thirsty work. All right, you could do it. I believe there in you. Uh, it's the last can. Dang, on Earth? I hope not. Well, these days, who can tell the difference? Wah, 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 wah. Let's do this thing, number one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Yay! I love Star Trek Podcast. Oh, my God. Is that Jimmy with us again? Yes, hi. Hi, hey. Commander Davey Dave. I'm just going to sit in the back here and be quiet now. There's other children, and I don't want to get in the way. Good, good. Jimmy, what deck are you from again? I'm from deck 23 with the puppies. Does 23 have outward-facing windows? No. The puppies distract us from our impending doom and help cut into the existential dread of being on a, on a starship. And our parents going away on, on away t- team missions with Mr. Worf where they get blown up. There, there, Mr. Wolf. It's okay. It's not my fault. She was very clumsy. <laughs> she was always dropping shit and trying to pick it up. I am your Commander Dave E. Dave. And with me... I am Ambassador Andrew. An even moderate, calming voice. Oh, wow. Just sort of an ASMR of Star Trek podcasting. We're unafraid to watch all 178 episodes, and we are coursing our way through season three right now. Episode five, Andrew. The Bonding, I believe it's called. Yeah, so this is The Bonding, and this is quite an episode. I mean, a a lot of people have a lot of feelings about this episode. We're going to talk about those feelings, Andrew. But first, would you mind telling us what the hell happens in this episode? The Enterprise crew, Dave, is exploring an uninhabited planet when ship archaeologist, who like stays in the middle of the saucer section along with, you know, the 20th century expert and stuff, (laughs) ship archaeologist Marla Astor is killed by an explosive device, (laughs) leaving behind her son, Jeremy. As head of the away team, War feels responsible for the boy and wishes to bond with him while the rest of the crew is in their feelings over the whole thing. The emotional stew bubbles over when Marla suddenly appears alive and well and wanting to take Jeremy down to the planet to live. It's a galaxy-class custody battle as Picard and the gang try to keep Jeremy safe and warm aboard the Enterprise. It's flipping Kramer versus Kramer, man, except one of the Kramers died. And the other one is Worf. Will they be able to shoo this galactic Karen off their lawn? Will Wesley and Jean-Luc share a hug? Will Worf end up with an adopted son leading to a spinoff where they run a junkyard in space? Let's find (laughs) out together. Who the hell are the Koinonians? Remember them? Marla's blown up by this leftover explosive device from a war between two factions of a race called the Koinonians. The goddamn Koinonians. And they're a race of people who used to inhabit the planet, and they blew themselves up. And there's a nice race of energy people who are left as the sole inhabitants. And we find out nothing more about any of these beings, and we don't care. 
Nobody cares. I mean, it's an intense opening, right? They go down. Yes, it is. To the planet. Uh, Troy gets feelings. Captain, leave them out of there right now, Captain. What do you want to call this? Telepathy or psychic or empathery? Well, you know, when I was watching this episode and I saw this scene, I I just groaned because I knew where it would lead us. We had worked so hard to getting you to the point where you understood her powers, and then they just go and dick it up for you. (laughs) But this is because she's just kind of pacing back and forth. And suddenly, I don't. Does she feel the bomb's feelings? I don't know. Right. But, this but is, it's like she has a psychic flash. It's ridiculous. Listen, listen, man. This is what's been going on all along with these powers. And I, I'm happy that she has these powers. I, I welcome the fact that she has whatever these powers are. And, and part of her powers are that she can uh, receive psychic feelings or messages from the planet's surface. The pacing that she's doing is on the bridge. The bridge crew is standing there and they're talking to the away team down below, led by Worf. She's like, oh my God, they have to get out of there right away. And and let me let me say this, Andrew. Yes. What is the point of these powers at all? I mean, whatever they are, okay? Whether she's emoting or whether she's uh, feeling some kind of psychic groove or whatever. If you get a psychic message Right as the thing is happening, what the hell is the value of that? <laughs> you know? So basically she gets she's like, get them out of there right away, but it's not soon enough to help poor Aster not to get blown up by the by the IED down there. There there's an a really obscure Saturday Night Live skit where they talk about stupid superpowers, and one of the, the heroes has the power to see the future like 30 seconds in advance. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Right. It's absolutely worthless. And this is this is the same thing. I mean, even if they are psychic powers or whatever the hell they are. Okay. You know, it's not like, oh, I predict someone in the future will come across an IED on the planet, and, and Marla Astor will probably be that person. No, it's just like, Oh, shit, someone's going to get hit with a bomb. Boom. Uh, hello, is O'Brien there? Hello. Hello. Is, I'll try to do my Irish accent there, Captain. Which, listen, would you mind bringing the remote control to the transporter up here on the bridge? I want to give it to the goddamn empath. and She could have the button in her hand. Uh, double time, O'Brien. Come on. Outside of all that, there's still this great sequence in the beginning. They beam back up and they've got a dead crewmate. Poor Aster is a red shirt. Marla Aster. Sorry, Marla. So this episode really is one long counseling session. And I really felt like I was in some like family therapy episode. <laughs> I had my comfort pillow with me, you know, and I was just sort of hugging it and chewing on the corner of the thing during the episode. This episode is all in its feelings. It's Troy time. I have been wanting some Troy action, especially in season two. I mean, she's they've really stepped up her character in season three. We're on episode five at this point, and we certainly have seen a lot more Troy. And somebody passed some notes along to the great bird and said, hey, you got to get this chick some more screen time. She's got to do something. She's often sitting around on the bridge one episode in season two where where we catch her yawning in the background because she's got nothing to do. But this time, you're right. She is counseling. And I, I don't know, Andrew, I'm into it. I like I like the counseling. This makes sense that she's doing this, even though it really doesn't make sense what's happening here. Because what? Right. Yeah. Hey, it's me. Gene, uh, I was uh, watching the last episode. Back. You're back. And I, 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 I saw Troy yawning in the background. 
I don't know about you, but in my federation, if you have time enough to lean, you have time enough to clean. And if you have time enough to yawn, you have time enough to have premonitions about unexploded devices. Caw, caw. Get that woman to work. Caw. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Gene. You've gotten so mean in your old age. Well, money doesn't grow on dilithium crystals, you know. Credits. Credits don't just fall from the sky. She's got to earn them. Caw, caw. Get her feeling, for Christ's sake. Hop to it. Caw. Well, <laughs> she counsels like crazy in this thing. And the reason why she has to counsel, though, is because Marla Astor was the mother of Jeremy. And poor Jeremy is 11, 12-year-old. 12, 12 years old. 12 years old. And his dad already died. And in this episode, we are starting to realize that Starfleet is a pretty flipping dangerous place. Yes. I know we saw our share of entities our share of Borg, our share of uh, evil twins, but we didn't see a lot of death in the last two seasons. And I don't know, it just got really dark this episode. Well, or we did and no one cared, right? right. Like there was, there was, I can't remember the name of the episode where Picard's like, we just got to put our feelings aside for, oh, that was when Yar died in, in Skin of Evil. Picard's right. like, we're all feeling it, but we got to, we got to put that away now. Right. You know, 18 crew members die. Because of the Borg, and no one's reacting. Entire ships are exploding, and no one's reacting. Yeah, and there was the episode called Contagion in Season 2, I believe, where the Yamato blows up. They're standing around the bridge, and they see the Yamato blow up in front of them, and about two to 3,000 people die in space right there in front of them. And the whole bridge crew is looking at it like, hmm, like, like they're watching Orville Redenbacher pop popcorn back in 1989. There's nothing, no reaction. And later on, there's a scene where Wesley comes into Captain Picard's study and says, hey, Cap, I mean, how do you deal with this? And he does that again. He says, sometimes when we want to say, holy shit, no reason for that. We don't want to alarm anybody anymore. We suck it up, young crusher. Right. See those bodies colliding with the view screen of the Enterprise? Just try to ignore them. We'll just stare blankly off into space. Don't worry about it. It happens all the time. Mr. Data, put the wipers on. (laughs) Get those things off the screen. I told you. Commander Worf, did you replace the windshield washer fluid as I asked? No, Captain, I'm sorry, I forgot. I I have failed you. Slip your gravity boots on. Don't forget to click. There's a button right on the side. And shag your ass out there and fill it up, please. <laughs> shag your ass out there. Captain, would you like me also to check the oil levels? <laughs> yes, please. It's a very long dipstick. They come back to the ship, and this is a big feeling episode. Worf is carrying a lot of guilt because he led the away team in which this person was destroyed. And he feels guilty that she's got this son left behind who's now been orphaned because dad's dead, too. He goes to see the counselor to get some counseling. And in kind of a weird space. I don't know where the what room they're in. And I don't, do we ever see that room again? I don't know. It's very odd. I kind of wondered if we had some cutting room floor, them going into the holodeck or something. I mean, it's kind of a cool set. It's, it looks like a big sort of cage. There's a lot of wires and kind of mainframe stuff in it. So I thought it was kind of neat. Well, no, it's, it's definitely a cool set. But what's weird is there's no one else in there. They just kind of walk in to have that conversation and leave. Right. You know, usually you have these scenes where someone's in the background doing something, pushing these fake buttons and all that. 
But this time, nothing's happening. They just walk into that room. There's no one else there. Right. It looks like they're filming a Prince video in there or something. Yeah, it's very purple. And then they just sort of leave. And, and I'm hoping to see more of it. But maybe this is her actual counseling space. I mean, maybe. No, we. she has no? like a couch. She just has like a normal cabin with a couch or a chair. But and... have, have we seen that yet? Have we seen that? I up? don't know if we've seen it yet, but we will see it. Right. She will have people when she, the Reg Barkley episodes, for instance, she's going to have All people right. coming into either her quarters or her office. It's never really quite clear. And just sitting in a normal, <laughs> you know, enterprise chair. What's the difference? It was a difference. She works from home. And nothing happens out there in there outside of counseling and pulling her hair out when an entity puts a like a musical when it puts a song in her head. I mean, that poor woman. I mean, she went through a lot. Two episodes back, Kevin, this uh, another entity infiltrated her fucking Kevin, her mind. He was uh, mind blocking her with this this uh, music box lyric that she just couldn't get out of her head. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, my God. Captain, staring my mind apart. She really does it this season, man. So we don't know. Do we ever see this place again? No. I, I, I don't know. Saying no. I, no, I'm just saying, no, I don't know. Oh, okay. All I right. don't know I, that we ever see it again. And I don't remember it. It's not like the kind of place that I said to myself, oh, look, they're back there. Because I have no earthly idea where they are. I know. I liked it. And I, I want to note, too, there's another setup a couple scenes later where they're in this really massive hall, just like one of the Enterprise halls. I've yeah. never seen that set before either. I was surprised because it was a really big hall, big ceiling. And long with the really wide angle. And I thought, this is really right. nice. I mean, we're seeing some different stuff. And it's important in this episode because we're getting a lot of drama this time, but we're also getting a lot of static scenes. For a show that is light on action anyways, there's no action going on in this episode outside of, you know, dramatic action, but no, like, you know, kind of space science fiction action. No, and well, you do well, get or some little. good, you, you, you know, with the, like the scene between Wes and <laughs> Bev, you get a good zoom in. They're trying the best they can. It's a static episode, but they're doing a lot of stuff with it. And I think that set was an attempt at doing that. The Wharf, Troy, whatever that set was set. And this long haul. We do get a little sci-fi special effect action towards the end with a little glowy thing. Yeah, when we get that, whatever the hell that is. But it's basically another entity flying around. An energy being from an energy race of energy creatures. What are they called? Who knows? And who cares? <laughs> like, mercifully, they didn't call up the Great Bird to get a, a name for this one. They just left it as an unknown entity. I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on in our world, but I sometimes wouldn't mind turning into a, a energy entity and just kind of flying around and going off into the ether. But speaking of flying into the ether sometimes and what's going on in our world, it, yeah. one of the things that comes up in this episode is this kid's on the Enterprise again. Because this kid gets left behind, this Jeremy Astor, who, like, slicks his hair back like Pat Riley. He's got these ears sticking out. Well, and, listen, in his defense, kid, Andrew, he's, that, that's makeup is slicking his hair back. And, and isn't he dressed like Riker's dad? You know, isn't that the same outfit, only it's like the Oshkosh Magosh version? <laughs> Commander Riker, why couldn't we have worked out my feelings in Ambo Jitsu? And for the first time, Picard's like, you know what, I, I don't think this is a good idea. We have a great scene with Picard and Deanna Troy in the lift, and they're going down to talk to Jeremy, the kid whose mother just died. And Picard goes, uh, 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 all stop. He goes, hold or something. He tells the elevator, stop, right? 
quit moving. And he freezes the elevator and he wants to talk to the counselor in there. I don't know. I like that sequence because here they are. It's pretty intimate. They're all alone. They're not going to run into anybody walking by. And he's going to tell her something. And what he tells her basically is, I'm not sure there should have been children on this flipping starship in the first place. And then her reply is is really kind of weak, right? When she's like, leaving him on Earth wouldn't have protected him. And he's got that great line by saying, but Earth isn't likely to be ordered to the neutral zone, <laughs> right. right? Which I love. I love that. It's like, you know, Earth. Hello, Earth. This is Starfleet Command. Okay, load up, Earth. You got to go <laughs> over that, that Romulan neutral zone now. But he's right in the sense that the Enterprise is just filled with horrible things happening constantly, which is why we watch the show. It's a weird idea that they did this. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still looking for, outside of us being entertained by it on our podcast, because we've talked about this to no end, the amount of weird things that having children on the ship makes happen in the show. I don't see a lot of benefit to the drama of the show by having these kids there being on, on the enterprise is dangerous because I mean, they've been kidnapped and when the bow breaks and then, you know, they, they could have been experimented on by Catface, N- face and when the, when silence has lease or being asked stuffed in a Borg drawer, right? right. <laughs> Remember when the Antigen and the Soleil were hunting each other on the decks? I mean, what if a kid got in the way? It just seems really, it, it it seems like there's all this danger going on all the time for these kids. Don't forget the flipping Ferengi, man, with those whips. Yeah, I mean, like, Troy says, like, well, if he's back on Earth, it would, you know. Yeah, but the Ferengi's not going to come over and laser whip your ass there, are they? No, yes, no. I don't know what happens in your neighborhood. It doesn't happen in mine. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. I mean, there's, there's got to be, unless the whole galaxy is as dangerous as this being on a spaceship, then yeah, you're pretty safe in places. And I think it's okay to raise your children in places where they're not going to get destroyed. And I know that like we are coming at this from a certain amount of privilege. There are plenty of places on earth in you know our very cities that are not safe for people to live. So I get that. But we're talking about a fantasy show where people are electing to be on a starship when they can also elect to be anywhere in the galaxy, I think. In this right. Future. Well, we're also talking about the 24th century, where, as far as we can tell, things are pretty mellow, right? Picard's already told us they've rooted out the cause of crime, right? You know, they're no longer capitalist. Everything just seems kind of cool. Barring all of this other stuff, you're shipping your kids to outer space. You're shipping into an explosively compressive vacuum. You're shipping them to the vacuum of outer space. Andrew, right? Do you know how many children died on the Yamato? Exactly. Zero. Zero. There were no children on the Yamato. It was not a family ship. How do we know? Because it's too sad. (laughs) Some physicists said once that outer space is trying to kill you because (laughs) it's not just the vacuum. It's also the ambient radiation. It's also the temperature. I mean, there's... You don't belong out there any more than you belong in the bottom of the ocean. Absolutely. And to take a six-pack of kids and shove them out there just, you know, so they could be near mommy and daddy just seems like a bad idea. You wouldn't take your kids to, you know, a war zone either. (laughs) We're invading Fallujah. Let's take these kids with us. Well, especially since most of what goes on in outer space, we're told that it's pretty tame. That wasn't the point I was trying to make. (laughs) (laughs) What was the point you were trying to make? I don't know. Do you ever start a sentence and it goes in a completely different direction? It happens to me all the time. 
I, and I'm willing to accept that death is a part of life, which is what Troy says. I totally get that. It's what gives life meaning. I totally get that. Well, Picard, too. But it, it just seems... I Well, Picard just last episode was saying, like, hey, Prime Directive. You know, he was standing up there taking an arrow, and he's like, yeah, fine, kill me. If that's what protects the Prime Directive, kill me. Troy's going to die? Tough. Right. This is the episode where... Picard is mistaken for a god because they go back to a civilization that's in the Bronze Era. They see Picard. Yeah, primitive proto-Vulcans. And the Prime Directive is at risk. You know, they save uh, one of the proto-Vulcans. Beverly does. Right. And he's just like, let that dude die. Why didn't you just kill him, Bev? Look at these dummies. They could use a few less proto-Vulcans. Have you heard how they talk? Death is everywhere in the Enterprise. People die all the time, and it, this is like the first time we actually give a damn, apparently, uh, well, other than Yar. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes we care and sometimes we don't. I mean, we cared a little bit when those 18 crew members died, when the Borg cross-sectioned those five decks on the Enterprise. Right. And then Yar, we were sad for a few minutes. Remember that when they were passing around those candles at the end of the Yar episode? Well, Yar comes up this episode, too, and she comes right. up all the time because, of course, she's a major character. And Jack Crusher actually gets a call out here in right. this episode. But there's there's never any moment where someone says, hey, remember those 18 crew members we lost because of the Borg? Damn. Entire ships explode. Right. There was a whole thing going in season one where ships were exploding left and right. Right. And no one was saying, like, oh, man. Holy shit. There, there was a lot of people on that ship, don't you think, Riker? It's it's Yamamoto Day, you know? Wear your, wear your black band or something. I, I know. This is the show not keeping you know track of what the hell is going on on the show. And the show is also transforming over these many, many episodes. I mean, here we are in season three episode. What are we? What are we? Like, we're in the 50s at this point. So yeah, right. a, a lot's happened and a lot's changed. And I know we're dwelling on this whole death because that's all this episode's about. But what I do appreciate about this episode is how all of these things connect. I mean, it makes sense that we're talking about Jack, who is Wes's dad and Bev's ex-husband. I mean, ex-husband because he was killed. It makes sense that we talk about Worf. That really, that really fucks a marriage up. If Worf them's <laughs> dead. Honey, I want a divorce, right? Before I die. And 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 the thing is, like, it's all connected. Picard has a story that is like Worf's where Jack, I mean, it's funny, they don't really get into the details because it's a little more gruesome than this, but Jack dies on Picard's watch, like Astor dies on Worf's command. So we got that connection, which makes sense. And we start having all these scenes where people start talking about death and the impact of death. And you have the Bev and West scene, which is actually really a good scene. But then you also have that Data Riker scene, which is weird because, you know, Riker's sitting there having a drink, as you do. And Data comes in and is like, you know, I'm so confused why people are so depressed over this person dying. Right. And I'm like, really, Data? His point is, why don't you care as much for somebody who dies because of the loss of a human life as you would for somebody you know? I kind of read that like the show was telling us, the audience, something about the show. Like, hey, you know what? We keep introducing a bunch of characters that you don't give a shit about. Remember the episode one with that Stubbs who had to go see the Dying Star right, or right, Riker's right. dad or the dudes that were going to get paved over by the Sheliak Corporation, yeah. a big meathead. Yeah, meathead. That was his name. <laughs> right. Meaty. The proto-Vulcans that you don't give a crap about or the people in the duck blind that die that you don't care about. And this is like saying like, you know what? Hey, maybe we should start 
thinking about these characters as if you should care about them. I mean, I think Data's making a point about the fact that the show keeps spotlighting things that don't really matter. And I felt like in this episode, the spotlight really shifted to our cast. Jeremy lost his mom and everything, and you feel sad because there's a kid being sad, but it's really not about Jeremy. It's about all these people, Wes, Beverly, Picard, Worf, coming to terms with... But you don't care about... That's the thing. You don't care about them because you don't know them, and you're not going to care about them. You don't know. Right. I mean, you're not. You're never going to hear it. So they make Worf makes this big deal about this Rustai, and he wants to make Jeremy part of his, his fam of his family, <laughs> right. like a brother or a son. Yes, I like. And you that. never hear from this kid ever again. Oh, so he never shows up again. I was hoping. No. I mean, listen, that scene. It's it's pretty. It's kind of sad. Worf does this gesture, and I I'm really liking Worf so much more on this pass. There's this the like kind of kind side to him, and he he makes this gesture, and then I was hoping we we're going to see this kid again. No, you're never going to see this kid again. So, and and that's part of the problem, right? Is that this is this show? All of these emotions feel so cheap to me, even though it's nice to see them finally feeling emotion. Yes, I totally agree with you there. But it's like, oy vey, like next episode, if they would even have said, you know, hey, how's Jeremy doing there, Warfy? Right. It's never coming up again. Uh, no, I know. And I get that. And I don't like that. And that's part of the problem of this episodic kind of show. But what I'm trying to say is instead of focusing on Jeremy, instead of focusing on Stubbs or Commander Jameson or Jameson's rival, down on the planet and like making those people be the focal point. This episode is about our cast. It's about how they deal with it. Jeremy's an excuse for them to talk about their own experiences with death and their own vulnerabilities. And I think that that's where this episode, number five, season three, is different from any other episode we've seen so far. I would agree with that. And I, I would probably agree with it even more if Jeremy wasn't such a boring kid. <laughs> I have a very hard time believing that anyone cares about this kid because he's really boring. He just sits on the couch and looks at old videos. He gives the cat a dumb name. I assume he named the cat Patches. It's a dumb name for a cat. This, uh, but but space, I mean, I would, uh, listen, kid, listen, kid. Nobody names the, the cat Patches anymore. It's Space Patches. <laughs> and the kid is 12 years old. Why isn't he acting like an angsty teen? His his parents die. You're 12 years old. It's around that age. You're kind of like, yeah, I wish my parents would die. Oh, they did? Cool. I get this whole cabin. To my and they show him in this no. cabin. And he's all by himself in this cabin, right? Like he's not staying with anyone else. They don't have a weird foster cabin. Right. He's like staying in this cabin by himself. And he's just like. <laughs> Cool. Well, cool. I can just do whatever I want. I'm, listen, listen, kid. I'm sorry. Not only did your mom and dad die, now you have to live alone. Try not to yeah, but, try not to think about those monsters under the bed when you go to sleep tonight. No way, man. He's hitting up the C Commander Riker channel, getting those chicks playing harps. Wes, hey, how did your dad die again, man? My mom totally blew up, you know? <laughs> that did your dad blow up? Hold on, kid. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, but Picard sealed my dad off into a room, and he died in there. That's different. Your mom blew up. She didn't have to even think about it. Boom! She's gone! And I like the, the fact they call him Jeremy Astor throughout the whole episode. Captain Picard killed my dad, but it was an accident. He didn't mean to kill him, but I hate him for it. 
you can't have Captain Picard as your dad. He's gonna be my dad. Listen, listen, Wesley. I've got a new dad. His name is Commander Worf. <laughs> He's way better than your your fake Picard dad. My fake dad outranks your fake dad. My fake dad tells your fake dad what to do. Did, did you know that my dad gets all charged up after he's murdered a bunch of holograms in the holodeck? Well, my dad gets charged up when he shoots at the phaser range, and then he finds my mom. (laughs) Did you know that my dad takes me sometimes to a murder fest on the holodeck? And if I'm really good, he'll set it to setting two. He'll let me kill Skeletor. Yeah, well, my mom's still really alive, asshole. Oh, you know what? There was a great shot in this episode where... Bev turns around, Wes comes in, and, and it's a really intimate scene between the two crushers. Wes talks about how he sometimes can't remember his what his dad looks like. Great writing. And then Beverly admits that sometimes she can't get him out of her mind. She can't stop thinking about the way he looked. And it yes. was uh, you know written in a better way than what I just said. But in that scene, he, he goes to his mom and Bev turns around. She spins her head. It's not slow motion, but that orange hair kind of comes around. It's all lit just right. And it looks like a Revlon commercial almost. <laughs> it's like, hello, Bev. And, and this is a really great for poor Gates McFadden. Sometimes they give her nothing to do. And this is a scene where she actually tears up, emotes, and is having an actual connection with this pretend kid of hers. It, it, it felt like, for the first time to me, these two people were mother and son. It's a very nice moment. It's probably, to me, it's the best scene in the show. What bothers me is that when it comes to the feeling and the emotion in this episode is that they've had no emotion for so long right that suddenly everything's emotion i know right suddenly it's time for everyone to have an emotional moment and even like even between Riker and data right that emotional moment I, and there, there's even that's great though because you know Riker basically implies that he knew marla astor if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah he said right well data data asks him did you know uh jeremy's mom Data asks first. He says, oh, yeah, I knew her all right. And then Riker goes, uh, yeah, I knew her. It's not us like having filthy thoughts. It's the show having Riker hook up with every woman that walks by. Well, he says, how well do you did you know Lieutenant Astor? And he's like, yeah, we spent some time together. This is Riker. And then he says, not very well. How well did you know her? Let me just tell you, Robot, I knew her well enough, if you know what I mean. Yeah, we spent some time together. Listen, robot, how well does anybody really know anybody else? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, Worf has a lot of feelings this episode, and I don't know if what we're seeing is a different kind of Worf here, but he's really struggling this time. It's better than him being dumb or short-tempered, which is what he usually is. Right. And again, it's just like the the Bev and Wes scene. Sure, it's great to see it, but... Certainly there's a middle ground here because he goes from being gruff and scary. Remember, he was scaring back in Icarus Factor. Even Data didn't want to approach him, right? I mean, they didn't want to talk to him. And now all of a sudden he's like, this death means so much to him. And he wants to do this, this roost die. 
which is the titular bonding. Yeah, the ceremony that he that he's trying to convince Troy that he should do with this kid. And Troy, when we're in that purple room early on, she's saying, no, no, this is too soon. You need to, there are steps. You need to go through the steps of grieving because this kid's angry at you before he accepts you and lets you do whatever this thing is. The dumb Worf stuff is really the show continuing to put Worf into situations where the other crewmates are pointing out that he's doing dumb things. We keep getting excited where he's actually being just as smart as everybody else on the ship. Well, and and I get that, but it's, again, you know, he's leading the away team, so the away team goes wrong. That already is kind of a dumb wharf moment. No, no, I was going to bring that up too because he goes down and there's a mistake under his watch, but nobody's uh, reprimanding him about it. Like uh, Picard isn't going, Commander Wolf. Maybe next time I have an away team, You'll let me take Counselor Troy down and she can walk in front, the dumb empath. But I also, I also, you know, I mean, this is the first time that we know of that Worf is heading the away team. Has he has he done other ones where people have survived or they all die every time? We're assuming, yes. And does he do this every time someone dies, you know, and is away team? Does he like make them a relative? Does he do roostai with them? Right. Well, the thing is, not that, I mean, again, not that many people die on this show. And it's just, I mean, not that many people we care about die on this show. And so I, I know that this is the struggle in this episode is that it's it's a, it's a false kind of phony narrative on one hand. But at the same time, they're trying to turn this darn show around. The show that we end up loving later on because we really love some of these characters, like we really feel for Picard and we really feel like he's this great captain. It's because of episodes like this where we start getting these kinds of scenes and we get get this kind of empathy from the characters. Well, it's a good point. And I also noticed that we're back to Riker, you stay on the bridge and I'm going to go into danger. And again, that whole dialogue from the first two seasons, mostly the first season is gone. Right. So now Picard's just going to go into harm's way. And we've officially made that transition where Picard's going to take the lead on these things instead of sending Riker out to do it. But the, the the danger he's getting into in this episode is emotional danger. There's no actual danger in this episode. <laughs> he's like, hold on, listen, I've seen the way you handle some of this shit, number one. You, you fly the ship, I'm going to go deal with the crying kid. But that's the deadliest danger of all. Deanna, listen, I just got my, I got my heart replaced not eight episodes ago. This poor heart of mine's breaking this episode. So what freaks me out, too, is with this energy being. We've totally missed this part about the energy being. So what happens is Jeremy's struggling, and then all of a sudden, his dead mom, near mid-episode, she shows up again. Mom shows up, and you're like, what the, huh? Mom's well, back? Well, he also, he also goes like, Mom! You're my mom! I can't believe Mom! That I thought was dead! Mom is back! Uh, mom! <laughs> You're saying they're being too a uh, little too obvious, huh? Uh, this whole episode. Okay, the minute that happens, again, to me, it was kind of grown town because you knew what was going on, right? You knew it was something from the planet. And it's, it's like the music in Deanna's head in The Survivors. It's like nobody makes that, you know, nobody closes that circuit really quickly, right? Worf comes in the room because he's checking in on Jeremy and he's like, Captain Picard, you're not going to believe this shit. It's Marla Astor. Yeah. She's right here in the quarters. They get a readout that there's an alien presence on the ship. And what's funny is that first they're like, huh, 
Where do you think? Uh, where do you think that alien presence could be? It's almost like you need Patrick Stewart behind the scenes, going like, "Will hand me the script." What was this episode about? I can't remember. At least they don't spend all this time going, wow, how is she still alive? No. Do you think you made a mistake, Mr. Worf? And they're pretty just like quickly going like, hey, who are you? What are what are you up right, to? Right. But at first she just appears to Jeremy and the kid's like, uh, mom's back. Uh, pretty neat. And then I'm yelling at the TV going, hey, kid, do you hear that creepy piano music or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you hear creepy piano music like that, there's something uh, shifty going on. I mean, that looks like your mom, but when you hear that music, it's like, hey, this is scary. Don't, don't, don't go to her. Well, and they also do that thing, which is is cool, where they're, you know, she's trying to get the transporters working so they could take the kid, right? And they're whipping around the ship trying to make sure that she doesn't get the power, and that buys them enough time for Picard and Troy to talk her down. Yeah. Troy's really good here, too, because Troy's having a conversation. They're staying calm. They're not panicking. No right. one's whipping out phasers, much to our chagrin. They're trying to reason with it. Even though they've bumped into some pretty negative entities, they're assuming that this one has Jeremy's best interests in mind. So what it ends up being is this manifestation of the mother of Jeremy because the aliens on the planet feel guilty about the fact that his mother died because of these ancient explosives. These are peaceful beings, these energy beings. And so they're going to bring him down to the surface, much like, do you remember the Royale? They're right. going to create this fiction for Jeremy where he's going to live with his mom in a house, maybe his dad. I mean, I don't know why they didn't reinvent his dad, but they're going to take him down and she's going to raise him like a mother would a son. And this tension in the episode was really interesting to me because I actually at first was going, well, maybe. Maybe she should just take him down there. This kid's suffering. She's going to give him everything that he could possibly want. I mean, it's a fantasy. It's not real. He's willing to buy into this idea that his mom has returned. Okay, the show is kind of arguing this at first, and, and we get the rest of our cast arguing against this idea. They're arguing against the alien saying, you know what? You can't give him a real life. And Picard has to say things like, hey, uh, this is part of life, human life, that people die and we have to deal with it. It's part of growing as a human. But one of the best parts of the episode for me and listeners, Dave has kids. I don't. I'm sure we probably read this part of the scene differently because Troy hits on a really good point. Like, will you provide for his education, his health, his growth, his career, a wife? Will he have friends? And to me, it's like, oh, Jesus, that just sounds like this exhausting list of shit to worry about, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, you got to take care of this kid. You got to make sure he has clothes. You got to make sure he has meals. What are you going to do when he gets bored? What do you, you know, it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. What do you want to do when you energy entities want to go out to the movies? Where are you going to get a sitter? I is mirror. That's why I don't want kids. I can't <laughs> deal with this. That plays like that. But the entity is realizing that they can't actually provide for this kid the things that he needs to actually really be happy. But I think what's funny about all that stuff you're saying is that the Enterprise crew is going to have to do all these things. They're going to be the ones that are responsible for these. And you would think in a way that especially after Picard had to watch over Wesley Crusher all season in season two, that maybe he might want to get rid of an extra kid if he if he if he could. I fully expect that they're going to stick his ass on a shuttlecraft or drop him off at the nearest starbase, right? Oh, because they mentioned the as relatives on Earth. That's they're right. shipping him out. Oh, they're shipping him out. But, they they're not going to have to deal with this. He's not going to suddenly become Worf's bunkmate. 
<laughs> you know, and the well, fact that he's gone next episode kind of proves my point. Goodbye, Jeremy. Yeah, Worf, what if he goes into worse quarters? Worf is like, I regret to inform you, Jeremy Astor. This is not my first roost die. My away missions have not been going so great. So, uh, Jeremy, this is your brother, Saul, and your sisters, uh, Taprell and Uta. And you're going to have to share just one room in the cabin. I have some of my statues there. You're probably going to have to move some of them around. And my bat left. Be careful. That, that That's sharp. Oh, and Targi sleeps in there, too. So uh, anyway, good night, everybody. I got to go on the bridge. One of the things that the entity does, too, the energy being does, is she redecorates. She de- redecorates the cabin, which, you know, if I were Picard, I would take that personally. It's like, what, you don't like what we've done here? You don't <laughs> like the carpeting on the wall? And then suddenly you got like this half Ikea, half Southwest look going here. I just, you know, what is this? She's making it look like their house back on Earth. She somehow knows exactly what the house looks like. She knows what the mom looked like. She knows what the cat was like. They create a convincing cat for the kid. And they take it from the kid's head. I know. But where's dad? You know, where's uh, and then while they're at it. You know, they could well, not want to cast dad. That's why you don't even see dad in the video, right? Dad only gets a voice because it's like, caw, caw. This is me, Gene. <laughs> I was looking at the budget. We don't have money for this kid's dad. He's dead for Christ's sake. Caw, caw. Mr. Roddenberry, do you know how much that wood sculpture on the back wall cost us? It was a fortune. I, I, I got it when we were in Malibu shooting that scene where Riker was hanging upside down all afternoon. Well, Mitchell's got all this Southwest crap that she got. At a swap meet down at the Rose Bowl. Cool. So Wes, the the line is that Wes and Picard have their encounter. Yeah. And Troy makes the leap that says, you must be mad at Worf too, which comes out of nowhere. To Jeremy. And it would be great if Jeremy just goes, nah. <laughs> yeah. Nah, you're wrong, counselor. Whatever. But when that energy being redecorates, I'm I'm totally thinking like, you know, Riker would be saying, hey, energy being, you know, I'm I'm Will Riker. Can you do this to my quarters? My quarters kind of suck, man. It's kind of a mess. We were partying pretty hard last night. You think you can uh, hit that? Yeah, I I, uh, I haven't had a, a woman with a exposed midriff to clean up my apartment in the last five episodes. Do you remember that? In this scene, Wesley's kind of forced into it. He's dragged down there. Picard's like, get the boy, please, because they want to convince the entity that what's going on is normal, that this kid needs to suffer like a normal Earth kid that's been dragged out into <laughs> outer space. Yeah, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. All our kids are, are suffering. Right. All our all their parents are right. dead. This is perfectly normal. Listen, I know you're all comfortable down there being energy things, but in our culture, we take our kids to outer space. And you know what we do? We put them in jeopardy from week to week, depending on what the great bird wants. We murder, we slaughter their parents by the thousands. Sorry, Jeremy, you don't understand. We needed to get this plot going. Poor Jeremy. It was worth it to sacrifice one mother for a really good episode. Don't you think, number one? Well, but when Picard calls Wesley, they do have a pretty interesting exchange, which yes. which which makes me wonder why they didn't have this exchange when they had were stuck for, with but, each other for five hours in the shuttle. Because <laughs> they're talking about sandwiches, man. But that's exactly what this episode is doing, and that's why I like it. They're going like, "Hey, you know what? Let's cut the crap a little bit, but let's get to the point a little bit on this." There's been this tension the whole way through. And let's talk about it for once instead of just implying in these awkward scenes where people are making and eating sandwiches. 
that there's some tough feelings that Wesley's had to deal with. Yeah. If you didn't know, Picard had to accidentally kill his dad. What you find out in this scene, the hardest part for Picard was not that Jack Crusher died, was was when he had to go tell Wesley that his father was dead. And I get the dramatic importance to that, but it is kind of funny that that's the part that he carries around more than the site. And I know it's all tied in together. Don't, you know, I'm not that dumb. <laughs> I get it, but it's funny that that's how he carries it. It's like, you know what the worst spot? We remember when I had to cut him off because he wouldn't run fast enough and I had to shut the door on him. Sorry, Jack. Goodbye. But guess what? Now I have to go tell your son you're dead. God damn it. Bummer. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jack. Jack, why couldn't you run faster? Well, I mean, it may, it does make sense, though, because now Picard has Wesley staring at him all the time, too. <laughs> and I'm sure Picard was not like, boy, I sure hope Wesley ends up on the ship with me right. so he could stare at me for the next seven years. I, I do think that there's a little bit of a misreading on the performance there by our beloved Will Wheaton, because he is clearly still angry when he delivers the lines. Right. Well, I felt like someone kicked me in the fucking head. Yeah. That, I wasn't prepared. No one could be. God damn it. So so what? And he's like, well, I'm not angry now. It's like, right. uh, yeah, sure. You're not. But what's happening is Deanna is forcing Wesley to convey to this kid whose mom just died. Jeremy, like what happened between he and and Picard, like that he felt angry for some time. Wes admits it. And so he's getting in touch with his old feelings, his angry feelings. And you can tell it's kind of welling up inside of him. And, and you know, I, I know that's awkward, but this is Wheaton doing some good work. And Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart's response is so subtle in the way that he is so many times. Like his the look on his face he doesn't say anything at first. He has this look on his face like, oh, my God, like this is like the look on his face is like, this is terrible. This is I can't I want to be out of this room so bad. This is the worst right. thing I've ever experienced. Like I'm having to I'm having to confront my emotions. All that's going on without saying anything. And you see it in his face. And it's so nicely done by Patrick Stewart. OK, I mean, I Yes, I agree with that. I, I know I agree it's with that. I get what you're saying that all this stuff is forced and it's all clunky and it's put together in this way that doesn't seem real. But I mean, here we are on the show that's episode after episode, put these characters into these weird experiences that don't seem real. And this for this episode to me felt like the most real because we're actually dealing with real things that can happen to real people, not, you know, with, with real feelings, like people were actually feeling things. And I understand it's all, it's all made up. It's a fantasy. And yeah, I, but it's also, it, you know, I think them trying to jam it all into 48 minutes is a problem I because know. then Troy takes that leap. You know, so Jeremy, since Wes was mad at at Jean-Luc Picard, you must be mad at Worf, right? And he's like, yeah, I am. And it, that comes out of nowhere. You know, at no time was he appearing to be angry at Worf. And now suddenly he is because Troy thinks it's a good idea. I know. I mean, there is, there are assumptions being made and it's kind of writerly assumptions that all uh, people would grieve in a certain kind of way. Like all, uh, like, I don't know. I, I mean, I might not necessarily think it was Worf's fault that my mom died. I could potentially think it was Picard's fault that he sent them down there in the first place. You know, I mean, this yeah. kid, 
this kid could be, it'd be funny if he's like, oh, okay, I've resolved things with Worf. He had, at least he had a ceremony for me. Next, I'm really pissed off that the goddamn empath didn't predict that my mom was going to blow up five seconds earlier so she could be alive. Or again, what if he's just like, nah, I'm cool. I'm not angry at Worf. I'm not angry at you. I'm not angry at Captain Picard. You know, I mean, my mom's been telling us the whole time, look, you go into Starfleet. I may get blowed up sometime, Jeremy. And I'm like, yeah, okay, mom, that's cool. She was never around anyway. She's always like digging up rocks and crap, you know? So what do you want me to do about it? Yeah, I can. Look, I still got, I still got some rips left on this bong. If you guys all just want to chillax with me. Okay. Pass it over here, little man. You look, look, we had an outward facing window, okay? I saw when that star almost sucked us in a couple episodes ago. I was there when Q came on the ship and sent us, sent us across the galaxy to the board cube. I saw that. I saw my neighbors being cross-sectioned and sucked out like a flipping cork screw i get it life is precious man i appreciate it every day i had with my mom <laughs> you try to do that john luke you haven't made one emotional connection with anybody on this ship wow see now that would have been to me a much more satisfying resolution <laughs> i'm mad at every single one of you assholes <laughs> yeah i don't know andrew uh what else you want to say about this episode i i, I think we have oh god i think I we have know. different different opinions about it i think is what's happening i think we're coming at it in, in different ways I, I i agree i mean it's it's not my favorite episode i just thought it was too too moody and too over the top you thought it was a sensitive and thoughtful uh, portrayal well, of no, anxiety it, and emotion and uh, i think you're wrong i well fine but i i listen i would <laughs> i would gladly exchange this for an episode where if they had said in the writer's room hey guys i've got an idea let's throw the script out and write an episode that's like the original series okay what if it was like kurt and spock but it's picard and Riker, and they're running around trying to get away from something and it, it's full of tension and thrills and stuff i would have gladly exchanged this episode for that episode, but we're not on a show like that. So for this show, it is worth mentioning that while there is this, you know, drama going on and there's tension inherent in the the sadness and these scenes playing out where the characters have to come to help Jeremy come to terms with this and then have to come to terms with their own losses. There is tension in that. But the show, again, has lost sight of the idea that this is supposed to be a science fiction show where cool shit happens in outer space. And I think you're right to bring that up because what if the mom came onto the ship as a threat and not just to Jeremy, but to other people too. And they not only had to, instead of convincing her, you know, to go back down to her planet, which, 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 which so often happens on this show. I mean, the entities being so benign, you know, all powerful entities like Kevin, a couple of episodes ago, this all powerful entity that decided he was going to kill 50 billion people. And it's kind of like, mm, okay, what if Kevin was a danger to the crew, or, you know, the enterprise right, or what right, if right. Astra was dangerous somehow? And I don't know, it surely would have made a better show. I would have liked that more. They wouldn't have been able to get to all this emotional depth. But, but yeah, I, I saw, I'm siding with you that I would rather watch a show that had action and tension and was scary and that kind of stuff as opposed to this. But I still think it was doing something that it hasn't done yet. Okay. I, I'll give you that. I, I mean, at the end, Marla, Jeremy, to me, the whole thing was a disaster. Get it? Because their last name was Aster? Disaster? Never mind. <laughs> 
Why didn't you? I'm done. Why, I got nothing else to say. I that? am spent. Okay. Because it was stupid. <laughs> it's still stupid. Do you, you know what? If you guys are still hankering for some STTNGs fun, you, w- w- tell them where to go, Andrew, for, for crying out loud. All carbon-based units can go to TNGEEZ.com on the World Wide Web, where they can see all our previous episodes cataloged, Dave. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, we're really easing out of this in slow motion. That is true. There's, you know, 50-plus episodes. We, we've, we've, we have season one, season two, and a bunch of bonus episodes that you can listen to. There's some art that we love to do for your viewing pleasure and um, some videos that are made by a fine filmmaker that <laughs> likes to spend his extra time uh, cutting video commercials together for us. And next time, Dave, we have a, uh, it's kind of a weird episode next time. It's, it's a kind of a controversial episode. Really? Uh, yeah. It's called booby trap. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'm just going to leave it there. It's not what Riker thinks it is. Uh, well, so thank you so much for spending your time with me, Andrew, enjoying this uh, enjoying this episode five. I'm Commander Dave E. Dave. And I'm Ambassador Andrew. We're signing the sucker out, man. Later. Let's go mind the store. No moms were hurt in the making of this podcast. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. That's not true at all. How about how about we go with this? Only one mom was hurt in the making of this podcast? I mean, just one. Yeah, it was, it was my mom, and I really miss her very much, and now Mr. Worf is my brother. I don't care for that. Oh, shut up, Jeremy. Just shut up. Wonder what's going to happen to Jeremy Astor? Think he grows up to command his own galaxy-class vessel? Think he's invited over to Worf's house for ranks carving? Oh, who really gives a shit? Next on STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast, Season 3, Episode 6. Look out! It's a booby trap. The boys will wonder just how the Enterprise ends up where it ends up. But we don't even know why they're there. And it's just kind of like they're hanging out. They're like, hey, you know, you want to go hang out by some asteroids later? Yeah, why not? Let's just go park the flagship of the Federation there. And this episode gets very chill. And Data's like, yeah, Wes. Yeah, dude. That's yeah, cool. yeah, bro. I totally see it, man. Yeah, bro. And talk about abstract associations. They connect the next generation with Mark Singer's Beastmaster. That's right. Beastmaster. Hey, Beastmaster's on. There was a time when you couldn't turn on HBO without seeing Beastmaster on. It was it seemed yes. like it was on all the time. Dave on and Andrew talk about those old timey phrases. John, have you ever found a needle in a haystack while you were at it? You ever go mind the store, Johnny? <laughs> but hey, Cap shows a little bit of his fun side. He actually is enjoying himself and kind of puts a spotlight on him and he gets a little uncomfortable. Like, sorry for having fun. (laughs) Poor Jean-Luc. Deanna rains on his parade. It's a rare pleasure to meet this side of your personality. And Picard's like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) And Ensign Gomez 
They just can't forget about Ensign Gomez. Well, uh, where's that Gomez while we're at it? I, I fancy a cup of hot chocolate on my way out. They talk next gen. And it's holodeck. Stop messing with the holograms, man. And don't forget Wesley Crusher. Oh, never forget young Wesley Crusher. You know, Captain, I'm really good at two things. I'm really good at figuring out propulsion, and I'm really good at driving the ship. So I think it's important that I don't do either one of them. Thank you for keeping the seat warm for me, young Crusher. I I often feel forgotten. Somehow a connection is made with Adam-12. One Adam-12, one Adam-12. <laughs> See the man, no pants, middle of the street. Look over there. Look over there, fellas. Adam-12. Gomez, Crushers, Beastmasters, and somehow more on the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Hey, kid, do you hear the creepy piano music, or is that just me?